Hey there, everybody, from beautiful Cardston, Alberta, Canada. My name is Dave Miller, and welcome back to the Mentally Ill Mentor podcast. It's a beautiful day here in Cardston, Alberta. We've got a little bit of smoke and a little bit of wind. We've had a lot of hot weather, and now it's going to get cold and rainy, which is just fine with me. But we're not here to talk about the weather. We're talk about we're here to talk about the secrets of how you or someone you love can begin winning the battle with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, and all kinds of other mental health challenges. And after my own personal battle for over 20 years with those things and a lot more, I am now on an all-out mission to guide you and as many other people as I can in creating a life of lasting hope, happiness, and purpose. So thank you for being here again with me today, this week. Well, my wife Amy is just a sweetheart. I love her to death. And every day um, when she comes home from work, she tells me, Hey, honey, guess what? I listened to a podcast today that I want to tell you about. And it's sort of become kind of like a running family joke because she tells me and or other members of the family that she listened to a podcast and she's so excited about it. And we know that because she listened to her, she listens to podcasts generally on double speed. She can listen to like, I don't know, six or seven a day depending on the total length of the podcast episode. So anyways, it's kind of become this running joke. And one of her favorite podcasters, which is also one of my favorite podcasters, is Jay Shetty. If you haven't heard of Jay Shetty, go check him out. He's incredible. Used to be a monk. There's a whole story behind it, but he's just a great guy. Very well balanced. So Amy also texts me quite regularly every day or two, at least one, often two or three, links to these podcasts that she's listening to. And of course, she tells me I have to listen to them. Well, I don't listen to podcasts on double speed, so I'm not able to listen to quite as many as she is. But I did listen to this one recently, episode 262. This is Jay Shetty, Seven Ways to Get Through Tough Days weeks, and months in love and relationships. And probably one of the reasons I listened to it, other than the fact that Amy, whom I highly respect, recommended it, was because that's always an important thing, right? There's there's tough stuff that we go through, tough days, tough weeks, tough months, and love and relationships is kind of what life is all about, as far as I'm concerned. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this. So I did listen to it. There was a lot of great information, and I highly recommend you listening to it as well. But as I listened to it, I felt like as far as the application to me and to Amy at this stage in our life, much of it was very applicable. But I also thought of the fact that Jay and his beautiful wife, Roddy, I think I'm saying that right, it's R-A-D-H-I, Um, they've been married for five years and they have no children. Amy and I, on the other hand, have been married nearly 26 years now and we have seven children. 
So I still think there's a lot that I can learn from episode 262 with Jay Shetty on love and relationships. But I also thought, you know what? I think um, in my situation, I guess I thought of what are some things that I have been able to learn from Amy and things that we do that have helped us to get through some of the tough times. And so I want to share just a little bit of that with you today. Um, And it especially is relatable to those of you who are married, who have children, and who are at a different stage of life than Jay Shetty and his wife. But we all started there, right? No kids, newly married, that kind of thing. So here's some advice kind of out of being married for a lot of years. Some of the advice is from, you know, here's what we did for this long and this is what's helped us. And some of the advice is uh, tips that, you know, things that we maybe would have done better or would have started earlier. So before Amy and I got married, now we actually knew each other from the time that we've, we've known each other since the time that we've been... Well, since I can remember, let's say six or seven years old or so. And the reason is we have gone to the same church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons. And we actually ended up, when we were eight years old, getting baptized together. Same day, same baptismal service. We still have the pictures, and it's just really cool. And so growing up together, we used to go to church uh, on Sundays and be in youth classes, but also on Wednesdays, we would uh, meet at the church and we'd have like a, a youth night where we'd do fun things and we'd sort of see each other there. And then maybe we used to call them video parties back when the, the VHS thing was a thing. We didn't have Netflix or even DVDs at that point in time, but we used to have video parties and we'd get together and we, I kind of liked her. I thought she was cute. I'm hoping that she thought I was cute too, but nothing really came of it that was any big deal at that point in time. Fast forward to after I served a mission for our church in Australia, came home, started dating, and while we were dating and talking very seriously about getting married, we decided that it would be important for us to make probably the biggest decision that we felt we could make to ensure that we would stay married. And saying it out loud, it's going to sound like really simple, but I believe that it is one of the most foundational principles that has helped us to stay married almost 26 years now and going strong, quote-unquote, as they like to put it. Um, And that is that we decided that divorce would not be an option. It was just like, you know what, we're probably going to go through some pretty tough stuff, but we're really, really in love, and divorce is just not going to be an option that we're going to go to when the going gets rough. So from day one, I think I probably tested her on that quite a lot. As I was thinking back, I thought, you know, a lot of times my emotions were pretty intense, for good and for bad, kind of the highs, the lows, that kind of thing. And as we progressed after the first few years, at about year five, um, I ended up uh, taking off from Amy and our two children at that time, Thomas and Harrison, 
And I took off in our rusty little Honda 1986 Honda Accord, and I went down to Nevada in search of, and this is from Canada, in search of Jessica Simpson, who at that time was either dating or had gotten married to Nick Lachey. And you're going to have to be older to remember all these details, right? Because now she's divorced and remarried and all that kind of thing. But that was where she was at at that point in time. She was very well known and, you know, uh, all these types of things cover on the covers of magazines and being talked about quite a bit in the media. Social media at that time was not a big thing. So there wasn't much on social media because we none of us knew what it was. It wasn't invented. And I left my family and I went in search of Jessica Simpson. And I really believed at that point in time that Amy was really one of the worst people on earth. I hated her guts, right, in my own mind with my perception. And I had heard so much about this Jessica Simpson, and she just seemed to be like really happy. She was very famous. That was quite attractive to me, very good looking. And I thought, you know, um, maybe if I can somehow contact her and she could get to know me, she might like want a date or something like that. So I'm thinking maybe she hadn't married Nick at that time. Maybe they were just dating. And I was thinking, hey, you know, she could get to know me, this Canadian from the middle of nowhere and, you know, kind of really not well known like Nick Lachey um, and definitely not in a band. You know, who knows? Maybe she'd fall in love with me. So my brain kind of wasn't working right. So I headed down to the States. I tried to get a hold of Jessica Simpson. It was really tough, and I never did. But what I did do is I realized eventually, really long story short, that I had a mental problem. was institutionalized a couple different places and eventually was able to come down from my manic high. I was very, very depressed unemployed, of course, at that time, because I also left my employer along with my family. And it was bad news. And I wrote a book about it, as many of you have heard me speak about, The Mentally Ill Mentor, Practical Principles for Achieving and Maintaining Balance in Your Life. You can find it on Amazon. And it goes into great detail. Um, And there's been a lot of good feedback on that book because it's kind of stranger than fiction, but it's not fiction. I hearken back to this experience because I really wonder if Amy and I had not made the decision that divorce was not an option, I think at that point she may have said, you know what, I love you, but I didn't really sign up for this. And... Amy and I both know people, and I'm certain that you do as well, that at the first sign of a real mental health struggle, one of the spouses says, I'm done. Like, we were in love, whatever, I was committed, but I didn't realize mental health issues were going to enter the picture. If that's the case, I'm out of here. And there are some people that I still... I guess you could say have lost some respect for to this day because they sort of bolted at the first sign of a mental health challenge. They bolted from their spouse and decided that that commitment wasn't too important to them. So number one way to show someone you love who struggles with mental health is to be 
committed. And if you haven't made that commitment at this point in time, hey, no matter what happens, we're not going to get divorced, make the commitment. And if you don't feel comfortable making that commitment, well, kind of time for some evaluation there, isn't it? We'll open up a great discussion that will be very informative. Let me tell you another story. On our 25th wedding anniversary, Amy and I, um, it was kind of the middle of the week. We were working. We decided to go away later. But we decided that on our actual anniversary, we would head out to Waterton. And I talk about Waterton a lot. It's People come from all over the world. It's only half an hour from our home. It's beautiful mountains, lakes, trees, uh, hiking trails. It's absolutely gorgeous, kind of like a little piece of heaven. As we were out there, we had this wonderful night. And then at the end of the night, we decided that we would exchange gifts. I don't... Well, yeah, no, I do remember what I gave Amy now. Um... But what's important as it pertains to ways to show love to someone who struggles with mental health challenges, I want to read to you something that Amy gave to me. This is in this notebook. Okay, September 23rd, 2020. Okay, so this is the day of our 25th wedding anniversary. This notebook is, so this is a note from Amy to me. This notebook is not only special, oh boy, this is bringing in a little bit of emotion. Okay, let me just take a couple deep breaths here. I think I'm good with one. This notebook is not only special because it's pretty, and it is very pretty, it's nice and colorful and flowery, but because every Friday I'm going to write you a love letter that you can keep forever. And she does a little exclamation mark. You ever seen how women do this? I know us guys, we don't do this much. Little exclamation mark, but rather than just a little dot on the bottom of the line, it's a heart. She put that forever with an exclamation mark with a heart. Happy 25th anniversary, honey. I love you with all my heart. I'm a very, she underlined very, lucky woman, very lucky woman to have a husband that loves me so much. I'm hoping these letters will serve as a reminder of just how much I love you too. And she did another exclamation mark with a heart underneath it. And that's all she wrote at that point in time. Well, Amy knows me pretty well. Over the last 25 years, we've talked a lot about how important love notes are to me and how I, uh, I think it's probably part of the way my brain has developed, but it's sort of the issue of permanence. And even a text, I find, it's not real permanent. I love to have things written down, dated, so that I can go back and refer to them and remember. And that's why I love taking pictures as well and videos. Um, and so Amy gave me this love journal because she has discovered over 25 years how much that means to me And I've got like stacks of love notes everywhere. This place, that place, this drawer, that drawer. Um, And I think she figured, you know what? This means so much to Dave. I'm going to just, this is going to be like one place, a one-stop shop for my love notes. And that I can just go to this journal. And who knows? What if Amy was to die in 20 years or something? And I'd have 20 years worth of love notes compiled in one place. So she knew that that meant so much to me, 
And she gave that to me, which is something I'm still very grateful for nearly a year later, and I will be, I know, for the rest of my life. So another way to show someone who struggles with mental health that's close to you, and I'm mainly meaning your spouse or someone like a boyfriend or girlfriend, is to, I would say, well, in my opinion, it would be writing love notes, but maybe also to find what means a lot to them. Maybe love notes don't mean a lot to them. But to find what means a lot to them that makes them feel loved and cherished and adored, and maybe even ask them if you don't know for sure, and then do it on at least a weekly basis. Something you wouldn't do for anybody else if you were married to so-and-so. You wouldn't do it for them because it wasn't important to them. But you want to do it for this person because they mean so much to you. And this is specific to them. So that is the number two way that you can show love to someone in your life that you really love and who struggles with mental health challenges. Lastly, well, in the past for me, and I think this applies to nearly everybody who struggles with mental health challenges, I have tended to be someone, although I am not a professional actor, I have tended to be someone who's maybe... I'm getting pretty real and personal here, but a little bit into drama. So let's say that there's this issue between Amy and I or in my life somewhere, and it's maybe like a one or a two out of 10 on the seriousness scale. Well, I kind of have had this habit, and again, just being really open and personal and vulnerable here, of kind of bringing that issue to a 8 or a 9 or sometimes even a 10 on that seriousness scale. And I've really oftentimes believed that in my mind, even though I guess when I step back from those things and look back in time, I know they really were just a 1 or a 2 or maybe a 3 out of 10 issue. I am betting that if you love someone who's going through mental health challenges, they're probably very much the same. I want to let you know something. We're pretty smart people, and we have the ability to sometimes rope you into the drama. And if you've ever been part of this, you're going, no kidding, Dave, this happens to me all the time. So one of the things that I know Amy has worked on, it's not easy, but is not getting sucked into the drama. And I guess by doing that, what I mean is, if someone gets pulled into drama, what is their mood and what are their emotions like? Generally, they're going to be, I would say, fairly negative because the drama is all negative. So one of the ways that you can show love, the third way that you can show love to someone you love who struggles with mental health is to not get sucked into that drama. Don't buy into it. And when you don't buy into it, you're going to find that something magical happens. Your life remains really pleasant and peaceful and happy. If you remain really pleasant and peaceful and happy, But there's a little miraculous little thing that happens as well, and that is the person who's trying to create the drama has nothing to create the drama with, nobody to kind of coordinate with, 
in making this little production, this little movie, if you want to call it that, and you'll find the drama decreases and life just gets so good. So third way to show someone you love who struggles with mental health that you love them is just don't buy into the drama. It's going to be good for both of you. Now, little bonus tip as well. (coughs) Excuse me. What can you replace that with? Well, my belief is that nearly all people that struggle with mental health challenges, myself included, a lot of the root of it is not the best self-esteem. And we could go on, I could do a podcast for like 10 hours on what contributes to self-esteem. I'm sure that you could be a guest with me as well and we could talk about this. We know there's all kinds of stuff from childhood, from this, from that, occupation, employment. I'm not employed. I'm, I do this. I don't do this. You know, uh, my friends are this. My friends aren't that. Whatever it might be, right? There's a host of things that contribute to self-esteem or take away from the formation of a healthy self-esteem as a child, which carries on into adulthood. So I'm not here to kind of get into that. But what I do want to say is, if you love someone who's struggling with mental health challenges, you can bet your bottom dollar that giving genuine love and like expressing love in a genuine way and genuinely expressing praise and pointing out things that are positive, it's going to go a long ways. You can replace, maybe when you've kind of hear drama, dra- okay, I'm going to start that again. When the drama starts, I think that's what you can use as a way to replace it. Really positive, sincere, genuine compliments, affection, things that will build that person's self-esteem. Because if you think about the psychology of why the drama is happening, Tony Robbins talks about, you know, the different needs that we have. One of them is significance. Well, when you start up a little bit of drama, woo, all of a sudden, boom, you're significant, right? So if the drama starts to go away, as someone who loves a person who's dealing with mental health, you still want to feel fill that need for significance. It's it's a a valid need. We all have it. Mental health, you know, mentally ill or not, but the person who's dealing with mental health challenges and who is creating drama is trying to fill that need in an unhealthy way. So the suggestion that I have is to fill that need in a healthy way. It may be regular love notes. It may be a genuine compliment about the way, let's say, your husband um I don't know, uh, did something uh, in the yard or in the kitchen or doing laundry or at work or whatever it might be. Or for those of you who's, uh, if your wife struggles with depression, for example, um, it may be a genuine compliment about all those same sorts of things, whatever it might be in whatever area of her life or his life, depending on the relationship. Um that will build them and that will really help them to reinforce the idea that you love them and that you see the good in them, even when it's kind of tough for them sometimes. Telling you from experience, when it's tough for them to see the good in themselves. So that's the bonus tip. So just to review, number number one, you want to become deeply committed to each other if you're not 
already as the first way to show love to someone that you love who struggles with mental health. A lot of mental health challenges have to have to do with the fear of abandonment as well. So if you can get rid of that, that's really helpful too. And commitment's going to help with that. You can even write it down if you want. I know a great thing that we love to do until our thing fell down behind the dresser, we had our marriage certificate up and it busted the the picture frame and whatever, but we'll get it back up there. But that's one of the things that reminds us of that commitment that we made. Okay, so second thing is, is to keep a love journal or some way to communicate on a regular basis your love for that person. Maybe they're happy with texts. Maybe they're happy with love notes. Maybe they're happy with just speaking verbally and hearing how much you love them. But however it is that you communicate that works for you, you need to do this on a regular basis. If you want to show that love to someone that you love that struggles with mental health. And the third thing, don't buy into the drama, but instead still fill that need to be significant and to have that self-esteem built, but in a positive way. So things like genuine compliments, praise, building for a job well done. We all need that. Well, that's what I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate, this is just so fun for me every week to be able to meet with you. And thank you so much for being with me. And I'd also like to let you know, if you have loved what you've listened to, please share it with someone you love. And please think about it as well. And I would love to have you go to the podcast, just take like 30 seconds, uh, give me a rating and a little review, and it really helps me out. It helps other people to find it as well. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to be here with me. I'm so excited to meet with you again next week. But before I go, I just want to invite you, as I always do at this point in the podcast, to picture me there with you, giving you a great big Canadian bear hug. Then imagine me telling you, I love you and I believe in you. You have got this. Take it from someone who knows how you feel. Things will get better. Hang in there. You'll be so happy you did. Love you guys. Bye-bye.